I am so stoked to be here, Harbor City. I'm, I can't believe I'm here, to be honest. Like, looking around last night, even this morning, and I was thinking, I have some really beautiful South African brothers and sisters. Like, you guys, not only do you have some of the best smiles I have ever seen, but some of the most beautiful hearts I've ever experienced. You have loved us so effortlessly since we've landed. I mean... You gave us a list of places to eat before we got here. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, we need, that's our love language. I, I, we went to Afro's Chicken Shop. It was our first place we went. Even, our, like, our Uber driver was like, are you, sh-? it was like on the beach, that one, the one, the first one. Um, then Grant says, you have to have something called bunny chow. Is that right? Bunny chow is our next place. And then I'm open to suggestions. Molly's is another one that we're going to go to. And then uh, Nathan said to stop by Chef's Table. Is that another one? But please, we, we want to know. We want to know, like, where to go. Um, but again, my name is uh, Danny Kimlot. I'm uh, the lead pastor of uh, Restored Church South Bay. And my name is not, my name is not Ryan Datuin. I don't know if you guys know who Ryan is. Um, if you guys were around a year ago, I think Ryan and Jill and Paulo came. And he's Filipino, and he came to here, and he told me that something happened while he was here. And then uh, I guess somebody went up to him and said, hey, Danny, like, how's Restored Church South Bay going? We've been praying for you, bro. And then as he's mistaken, he's, he's been, he's, someone said that, he goes, it's going pretty good. <laughs> like, and walks away. I'm like, you didn't correct them? He's like, I, I'm like, oh, well, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, but I'm not offended at all. I think he's a handsome guy, so I will take that. Um, but you know what? I mean, I'm Danny, but and I'm not Ryan, but I do have Ryan's sister here today with you. Abigail, uh, you're going to hear from her a little bit. But we are all one huge family, are we not? One huge family in Jesus. And that's what I get to talk about this morning, guys. I'm excited. Like, as Brad talked about gospel last night, and I'm going to be talking about family, um, I wanted to start off by introducing you to my family, my little tribe, my bi- biological family. Uh, this, is, this was taken just this last uh, June on Father's Day. Um, my wife, Monique, is sitting right there, and we've been married, we'll be nine years in September, right? <laughs> and then we got two kids. The one on the left is Jackson. He's six, and he starts first grade this week. And then uh, that my little one is Josiah. He is three years old, and we call him crazy. He is our little Sour Patch Kid. He is both sweet, but really sour at times. And as they're getting older, we've been trying to disciple them into what it means to be a Kimlot. That's our last name. What does it mean to be uh, a part of our family? What is the culture of our family? And um, I do this thing every time I last, this last year, I've been walking Jackson to kindergarten. And every morning I will walk him and I don't, I do this thing that drives him crazy. I like to embarrass him uh, in a certain way. I will literally go, Jackson babes, Jackson babes, and I'll, he's like, dad, we're getting closer to school, like, stop. I'm like, I'm going to tell this lady right here that you're my Jackson babes. Hey, and then I'll like walk over to the lady, and he's like, dad, no, she doesn't have to know, right? I'm like, but I got to tell her I love you, right? And I'll literally do Jackson babes, Jackson babes, and he's like, like beating me, and this lady's like looking at me like, what is going on? And I was, he's like, why do you have to always tell people? Why do you always have to tell people that? And you know what I say is, Jackson, in this family, we're never, ever embarrassed to show our affection to each other. In this family, we will always share to anyone how much we love one another. 
because in his family, that's what he did with us. He did that on the cross. He was not embarrassed to look like a fool, it says in 1 Corinthians. That the cross proclaims his love for us through the death of his son. That's why I'm not shy to to declare my love for you because my father's not of me. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. But she doesn't have to know. <laughs> it's what she, like, she will. She will. <laughs> but as we communicate what it means to be a, a culture, uh, to be part of a family, to have the gospel infused in it, our prayer is that this culture will develop and mature and impact the world around it. And that is our prayer for us is that a culture will actually develop and mature and impact the world around us, no? As we live out these, these, these values of gospel and family, mission multiplication, renewal and dependence. Specifically, I, I'm excited about today's uh, cultural value, family. And whenever I think about this, I, I think about Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. This is not um, explicitly there, but you'll see that this describes this beautiful culture. And this is what it says in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if the enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. And do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I'm going to do now, uh, I'm going to actually break what we just read into three specific sections or characteristics of what the church family is called to be. And I'll unpack that a little bit more. So the first one is verses 9 through 12. We just read that. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking zeal. Keep spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I'm going to categorize this as the family of God is called to be faithful. Faithful to God and faithful to one another. I love that it says, we are willing to actually enter, willing to enter into other people's pain and their joy. I love it that the Bible doesn't always just use the family, but it also uses the, a metaphor of the body, that when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. You guys know what I'm talking about? In every single instance I can think about when it comes to the, the hardest seasons of my life, I can recall my brothers and sisters in Christ being there. When Josiah, my youngest, had a terrible burn accident and he was hospitalized over Thanksgiving and had to have an operation and we were scared. And it was one of those moments when it happened, when the accident happened, the first guy I called was Tom. And I remember shaking on the phone, Tom, this just happened. 
Like we're, we're, we're driving to the hospital. I don't even know. What, I, didn't, I don't even remember what I'm saying, but I remember how, what I was feeling. And Tom was just like, I'll be there. I'll be there. Where are you? Over Thanksgiving, I mean, I was surprised. Their hospital food was amazing. It was, a, it was great. And normally we would have been sad, like, oh, man, we're in, we're in the hospital. But we were, like, just thankful that her son was okay. And our brothers and sisters came to the hospital with us. They brought us their Thanksgiving food. It was as if their own son was going under the knife. After our church was kicked out of our building on December 6th, and we said, hey, you have 30 days to find a new place. I'm like, over Christmas? I was like baffled. And pastors of other churches, not even in our network, were calling and interceding for us and battling for us and finding us venues. I just felt so loved. It was as if this was happening to them. That we were, no, we were not alone, even though we were feeling abandoned. Then not long after that, as if the other two weren't hard enough, Monique's brother passed away at the age of 29 very unexpectedly. I don't think we would be here today if it wasn't for Andy and our elders saying, hey guys, we think you need to take a sabbatical. I would have kept on going. I was like, we're just in a new building. Or we're, we're going through enough. I was like, you guys really need to take a break. You guys need to, to grieve and to heal. And Tom was supposed to plant sooner than he did, but he stayed to serve Restored Church South Bay so that they had an elder there. And I know that is priceless. For that time that was given to us, for to actually to spend time with Jesus. It might as well have been their own flesh and blood that passed away, is what I felt like. When we talk about entering each other's pain, I have seen it done beautifully when it comes to the family of God. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Not only that, but we are committed not just to each other, but to, 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 to Jesus. That I, I like that it actually says um, patient in affliction. I'm going to go into that in a second. But it's, it's, it calls us to be patient in affliction. That's hard. It's to press into prayer, to be committed to Jesus even when we're going through it, yeah? I'm going to go into the, for the sake of time, I'm going to go to the next category in verses 13 through 16. The category is this, the family of God is also called to be generous, sharing each other's resources. We see that kind of generosity in Acts 2, where everybody is sharing everything they had and nobody ever had any need. And we see that community flourished. But I love here in Romans 12 and verse 13 through 16, it unpacks it a little bit more. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We bless and do not curse. Whether they persecute us or if they're just strangers, we are called to practice hospitality. In the Greek, the word for hospitality is philozenia. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it means lover of strangers. Kimmy uh, talked about this when we were over at Brendan and Kimmy's house our very first night. Did I say Brendan? Yeah, <laughs> that's not Brandon. We came over to their house, and the first thing I know is like, I like their aesthetic. I like their, I would put that in my living room. It's <laughs> the first thing I'm like, I like, I like their style. <laughs> but as the dinner was progressing and we were having this dinner, have you, when's the last time you guys had belly laughs? Like you're laughing to the point where you're crying. 
And that was happening over dinner. We were playing, it was a broken telephone where you have to draw something. You have to try to interpret, like, what's that drawing? You write the caption, then they, you fold it. And I re- we were laughing so hard where you're grabbing your stomach and you're wiping your eyes because you're crying so hard. And in one of those moments, as we were laughing at the dinner table, is as if things went in slow motion, like a movie. And I, I looked around and people were just, they were still wiping their eyes and they're grabbing their bellies. I looked at the table. I was like, man, this is immaculate, you said. It's a beautiful home. Good food, good, great tasting wine. <laughs> that didn't help with the laughing, I'm sure. But, uh, and it was as if in that slow, mo- slow motion moment, I felt like the Spirit was saying, this is just a small taste of what heaven's going to be like. We're going to get to sit at this banquet. And you're just, I didn't know them very well, but it felt like we had known each other for so long. It felt like family. Through the practice of hospitality, Brendan and Kimmy gave me a gift by giving me the glimpse of eternity. It was a gift they didn't even tend to give me. But in that moment, I felt like, man, I'm looking forward to that day. We're going to be at a banquet with our brothers and sisters, and we may not know each other's stories or how we got there, but we know we got there because of Jesus, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to cry. We're going to have great food. No worries of calories. (laughs) And it's going to be amazing, yeah? The third category that the family of God is called to in verses 17 to 21 is this. The family of God is called to be gracious and forgiving towards each other, towards one another. You know, yesterday when we were at our hotel, uh, I woke up really early. I woke up at like five o'clock, and um, I don't—I was like maybe I got three hours of sleep, and I just stayed up. You know, like I wanted to work on this. And when we got to our hotel, the one of the first things I noticed was like, oh my gosh, like they gave us like a, a view of the ocean. Is this an accident? <laughs> like, is, I'm not complaining. I'm not going to tell anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Like I just took the gift, and when I was sitting at the balcony and was working on this. I didn't expect it. I had forgotten where we were in the world, but this was the first time I've seen the sunrise. It was literally my first time seeing the sunrise, and it took my breath away. My first thought was, I could have posted this on Instagram. (laughs) Well, that was like my second one. My first thought, man, I feel really small. As I was watching it, and I felt like I heard the Lion King soundtrack in the back. <laughs> it's coming out this week. That's why like, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I felt really, really small. And Filipinos are small to begin with. But I even felt smaller. And God felt big. When we live as sons and daughters of the king, my brothers and sisters, We are constantly going to be reminded of how small we are. And when that happens, we have no power to think that we are bigger or better than anyone else. To exercise judgment or revenge or to practice evil over anyone. Because ultimately, we know that Jesus did that with us. That he did not repay evil for evil. He did not even do that with his own enemies. That's what we're called to. As Jesus has been gracious and merciful and forgiving to us, we get to live that out to other people. See, what all of these verses come down to is that, what I just said, that Jesus did these things for us. I did not just read Romans 12, 9 through 21 to give us a a description or to-do list of things that we need to do. 
It could easily sound like that. But what I want you to read, that, when you read that on your own, look at that as a description of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. That Jesus' love has been made way more sincere than any of ours can be. This is a description of what his perfect life on earth has looked like and his undeserving death on the cross has, has looked like on our behalf. The family of God, we respond to what Jesus has done towards us. Jesus was faithful, the first characteristic, in carrying our burdens to the cross. Jesus shares all that he has so generously, his righteousness, his honor, his goodness, and his faithfulness with us. Can you imagine, guys, if we, the church, lived out perfectly, Romans 12, 9 through 21, can you imagine how different the world would be if we did this every day? I mean, look at the characteristics. If, imagine sincere, sacrificial, no hypocritical kind of love, selfless, self-sacrificing kind of love, joy-filled, that patient in affliction, that's where it gets me. I'm not patient to begin with. I know this is an area that the Holy Spirit is working in me already. But then it adds patient in what? In affliction, in hardship, in suffering. That's like varsity. That's like another level. But you know what? That's the vision that we are called to as a church, as a family of God. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's the thing. As beautiful and as awesome as that description looks like, as amazing as the belief that we have that Jesus is making this true of us every single day, for many of us, just like Kimmy said, for many of us, even though we can read this and know that this is what we're called to, the, the idea of church being a family could still be really hard. Church being a family is a hard topic for many people for many reasons. And so today what I want to talk about are just two major reasons why. And she's unpacked this so beautifully already. But two major reasons why I think people struggle with the idea of church being a family. And I think this can apply to both Christians and non-Christians. There are many obstacles, I'm sure, but in all of, and I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years. And two major obstacles that I, I see that keep people from experiencing what it means to be part of the church as a family are these, pride and pain. Pride issues and pain issues. Let's look at just pride first. I think this goes way all the way back to Genesis with the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve. If we look at Genesis 2, 24 through 25, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice here, it does not say the man and the wife were both nude and were not ashamed. It says what? It says naked. Nude means without clothing. Naked in Hebrew has a much wider definition. It means to be exposed. They were exposed and they were not ashamed. There was actually a time where we were created, we were designed to be exposed, uncovered, and there was no shame. Imagine that. To be fully known with all of our faults, all of our imperfections, all of our quirks, and we didn't feel the need to hide. Ever since Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we still have been running away and hiding and covering ourselves with fig leaves, just like they did. Jackson and Josiah, my two sons, uh, we're fighting last week in the car while we are driving, which always drives me crazy. I, I understand my dad now. Like, when me and my sister would do that thing, we're like, 
Kuya is going to touch me. Kuya means older brother. And maybe like, Kuya's going to touch me. I'm like, I'm not touching you. You know, that whole thing. But I'd like torment her. And my, my two boys were fighting. And I'm trying to disciple and discipline, like, stop it, like, as I'm driving. And he hit, I see it in the rearview mirror. Josiah, the three year old, hits Jackson right on the face. And I'm about to say something, but Monique inter- intercedes and she goes, You're not supposed to hit your brother. I'm like, You better, you better give it to him. <laughs> like, she goes, You're not supposed to hit your brother when you're upset and you're mad. What are you supposed to do? And I'm thinking already in this moment, You're supposed to tell your mom and dad, or you're supposed to breathe, like have a breather. And actually, Josiah goes, I'm supposed to pray to Jesus. <laughs> says it's so mad. I'm like, oh, wow, you've been working with that. Like, okay. That's a better answer. Better answer. See, where the ideal lacks, grace abounds, like in my wife. And it could have ended there, right? It could have ended there. He's like, I know I'm supposed to pray to Jesus. And she's like, yeah, you're supposed to pray to Jesus, to ask him to help you with your emotions and to, to, to not hit your brother. And then as they're unpacking that, I hear he says, Next time I'll pray. But I was trying to fix my attitude, but I couldn't. It's not working, so I hit him in the face. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, he said that at three. I was trying to fix my attitude, and it's not working. <laughs> and it took, it literally took the power of the resurrection for us to not, like, laugh, like, in the moment. I went, oh my God, so cute. Like, it was so cute. <laughs> it was funny, guys. It was so funny, but you know what? It is so true because kids are honest. Kids say that, right? They will tell you when they're upset and what is not working. Adults don't. See, children come to fully expose. They will tell you what they're thinking and what they want. The thing about us is that I think we've learned how to use fig leaves to cover up what's going on, how we're feeling, to pretend. See, some of us try to fix our attitude, and you know what? It's not working, but you like to pretend like it did. You turn it on, right? Some of us are trying to fix our marriages on our own effort. It's not working, but you pretend like it did. Some of us try to fix our lack of joy and satisfaction through drinking, drugs, sex, you name it. It's not working. Some of us try to fix our experience of suffering or sadness through escapism, whether it's through Netflix or the gym or food or anything to distract us. Some of us try to fix our fears and insecurities with unhealthy relationships, money, or tearing other people down because it makes us feel better and we pretend like it's fixing it, but it's not. See, it took me a long time, what I just described, to learn this for myself. It took me a long time, even after knowing Jesus. And maybe this for another talk, because I don't think I have enough time to unpack this, but because of my experiences with racism as a kid, uh, being bullied as a poor brown kid, the only brown kid in our school, being a child of an immigrant family growing up as a second-generation American, there is a lot where I have learned to pretend like everything is fine and nothing is bothering me. Like I was, there was years where I would go actually lying, pretending that I was someone else. Someone else that I wasn't, and I became so tired. Sometimes I could still fall into that old self, even to this day, where I pretend like I'm more fine than I am, and that doesn't fix anything. And it's exhausting, because at the end of the day, it's like Josiah said, I try to fix it, it's not working. 
We can't fix it, but Jesus can. In Jesus, we are both fully known with all of our faults, all of our quirks, all of our imperfections, all of our sin, and fully loved. We can no longer, or we don't even need to feel the need to hide because we're both fully known, fully loved, proven by the cross and the empty tomb. So what does that have to do with experiencing the church as a family? Everything. The truth is so many people struggle with being transparent and vulnerable because they're pretending, they're, they're pretending like they're more fine than they actually are. But when we grasp how known and how loved we are by Jesus, we are then freed to be known by all of our, ourselves, the good and the bad, the ugly. Because the creator of the universe says, I love you just like that, but I love you way too much to leave you there. So the rejection of other people don't have to devastate us when we are known we are fully accepted by God himself. Does that make sense? And when we get to know other people, we get to exercise that same knowledge, that same love. And it becomes this beautiful cycle of being accepted and loved and learning. I'm still learning myself. I'm learning my wife. I'm learning my friends, my siblings, my parents. But pride keeps people from sharing their deepest and darkest parts because it's a fear of being transparent and vulnerable and becomes an obstacle. Pride becomes an obstacle of experiencing the church as a family. The second obstacle to experiencing church as a family is this, pain. Painful experiences that Kimmy unpacked have the ability to cause deep wounds in our hearts and our spirits that cause a distortion of who God is. And it causes deep trust issues between people, even trusting God himself. And when we struggle with trusting people and trusting God, then of course it'll be natural to struggle with trusting the church. And after getting a pulse from Grant, and as I was praying through this this week, there was a very specific thing I felt like God was asking me to unpack, a very specific pain. And it was the one that Kimmy talked about, a pain that has been attributed by our earthly fathers. I mean, praise God. Praise God if you had a wonderful dad who was encouraging and he was present and he was fully engaged and he was self-controlled with his words and his actions. Celebrate that. We want to do that. But sadly, as I've been in ministry and I've talked and I've counseled with people and ministered to and prayed with, countless people have their biggest wounds when it comes to their dads. There's all kinds, but there's specific ones that I've, I've studied. Uh, my major was in psychology, and this was one of the major things that I've been kind of reacquainted with. Um, there's the abusive father. There's the disconnected father who's present but just never engaged. Then there's the, the ticking time bomb dad, the unpredictable one where you don't know where you're going to get. Like when you get home, is he going to be in good mood? Is he going to be in bad mood? What is he going to say today? And then there's the absentee fathers, the ones that just weren't there. There's a guy that's been going to our church. His name is Jacob, and uh, he's actually Monique's cousin. And he's been coming to our church, and we've been super excited about him coming. And what we love about Jacob is that he's always the life of the party. He's the really funny guy to have at, at family gatherings. He's everybody's favorite cousin and everybody's favorite nephew. He's that kind of guy. And I'm excited to get him plugged in, you know? And then he said, hey, can we get a one-on-one -on -one after our last uh, Sunday? And so we had a couple hours together. And this, guys, we've, we've been in, ever since I got married into the family almost a decade ago, I've known him as being happy and go lucky and the life of the party guy. And he says this. He goes, Danny, I, uh, I've been dealing with a secret depression for too long. 
And last year, I almost took my life. I really thought about it. I really thought, like, I was looking over the edge. As by the grace of God, I have it that I'm still here and I'm really tired. And I was shocked. I was like, what? Jacob, like, why haven't you told us this sooner? Like, why is this the first time? And I didn't think he was going to say that, but the first thing came out of his mouth, he goes, you know, like, I never had a dad. You know that, like, in our family. So, but it comes down to this. I'm so angry. I'm so angry at my father for abandoning us. And I know God is a good father. I know the song. And I know the things that it says in, in, in the Bible. But it's really hard for me to believe it. I know God's a good father, but it's really hard for me to believe it because God could have stopped so many bad things happening last year and all throughout my life, and why didn't he? Maybe God the Father abandoned me too. And it's hard to go into this. this we all have this record that is playing in our heads, certain things, lies that we hear that's on repeat. And I always say this to people, the enemy doesn't have to be creative. He just has to be consistent sometimes. You hear the same thing over and over and he kept saying, he kept hearing, I just feel like I can't trust God. I can't trust God. And if I can't trust God, I'm not going to trust his bride. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to be transparent. Why? So he learned to turn it on. And he would laugh, and he would have a good time, and he would smile. And it almost killed him. Pain, especially painful wounds from our fathers, our mothers, our siblings, our closest friends, they do have the potential to distort our understanding of God the Father and his bride and other people. And it has the ability to filter how we see everything. Does that make sense? And if that's you, here's what I want to say. If you're here and this is what you're experiencing, Jesus sees, he knows, he hears, he feels the pain that you are going through that you are going through. You think about Jesus' life. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, someone he spent every single day and night with for three years. One of his closest friends, Peter, said, I'm down for you, bro, not going anywhere. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the, the rooster crows. I remember we went to Israel during that time where right after um, Monique's brother passed, and we decided to go to Israel, and we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I was supposed to lead a Devo, and I was ugly crying. You know the crying where it's not cute anymore? You're like, oh. <laughs> like, it was like snot everywhere, and I'm barely getting through this devotional. Because I was sitting, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the picture that I had was Jesus begging his best friends, would you just stay up with me? Would you stay up, from, stay up with me and would you just pray? Would you just be present? That he was so distressed, he was sweating blood. He looked at his friends and said, would you do that? And he comes back and they're what? They're sleeping. And I remember, I, I don't know what, what it was, but maybe it was just this idea of feeling what Jesus might have felt, this, this idea of abandonment. And I'm like, man, like, I didn't want to be alone and that he was let down. And I remember in these moments where we're feeling pain and anguish and suffering, doesn't that not feel like you are in the most lonely place you could be, even when you're surrounded by people? Jesus knows what that feels like. 
his own mom and his, his brothers at one point while he's preaching and going around the gospel, they're telling people, oh, he's being crazy. Let's, let's just get him real quick. And so the brothers and his mom go to the doorway of one of the houses and say, can we just get, can you call Jesus? We're going to take him out. He's being a little cuckoo. And someone goes, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here to take you. And Jesus says this in Matthew 12, verse 48 through 50, which I just think is so amazing. He says this, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to all of his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. When we become disciples of Jesus Christ, we are brought into a family that transcends DNA. I mean, it means despite the blood that is coursing through my veins right now, it is the blood of the cross that actually causes us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the blood on the cross that calls us to be sons and daughters of God. And it's through Jesus' pain and suffering on the cross that he redeems our experiences of our earthly families, bringing us to a spiritual one. In fact, he promises this in Romans 8.28, that he will redeem all things. He says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I know that this is a familiar verse, but please do not let the familiarity rob you of its awe. It says, God will redeem all things for those that love God, that are called to his purpose. I th- when I read this, I imagine the day that we are in front of, of, in front of Jesus in eternity. And that moment, he's going to play in front of me my life, kind of like a movie is what I, I think. He's going to play back the good things that I did and how that affected people and how it, it glorified him in his kingdom. And then he's going to play all the bad, the bad things that I have done and the bad things that have happened to me. And I imagine him showing me, I want you to see how I use the bad and use it for good. I want you to see how I use those things to bless others and to bring redemption and restoration to people. And in that moment, I imagine falling on my face and falling to the ground and worshiping Jesus, that he would take the good and the bad and the ugly things and use it all for his glory. Jesus will fix and redeem it all. So I've been praying through what God might want for us this morning, and I sense that Jesus was inviting us in specific ways. Um, If you're here today and you're realizing that you are dealing with pain or maybe you're stuck in certain pride obstacles, this is what I feel like God is inviting us to. If you're in the place where you've experienced pain, I want to invite you today to grieve. And I bet when you signed up for this retreat, you're like, yay, we're going to (laughs) lament, right? Like... Nobody wants to do that, I'm sure. But guys, I've learned so much of how much wisdom and gift there is when we actually do this well. I've been seeing a a biblical counselor for a while now. It's the same one that Monique was seeing for a year. And I believe she's been seeing a bunch of people throughout the Restored Church family of churches. Her name is Diana. And She's in her 70s. She's one of the wisest people I have ever met. She's a boss, is the way I describe her. So even to her, I'm like, you are a boss, Diana. She goes, thank you, thank you. Uh, she's been counseling people for decades. And as we were beginning our sessions, 
to be honest, she was getting on my nerves because she would ask me these questions where I'm just like, why'd you ask that? Like, why are you asking that about my dad? Like, why are, you, why are we going back to that thing? And she'd be like, Danny, stop. Why do you have to know? Like, why do you have to know why I'm asking something? I'm like, I have control issues. <laughs> she goes, clearly. <laughs> um, I'm like, but why are you going through there? Because, Danny, this is the truth. And she was specifically in this session, she, she was going back to something hurtful my dad had said to me when I, was, I decided to join ministry. He said, why are you wasting your life for a hobby? Like, why? Like, this Jesus stuff. Like, why are you wasting your life? And Diana would be like, can we go back to that? I'm like, why? Like, I, he wasn't, a, like, my dad's a believer now. Like, I think he would, he would actually say now, oh, you didn't waste your life. You found your life. But she goes, no, no, no. I'm not discounting that he's saved and, he, and, he's, and you, you can explain that it's fine. But honestly, we need to go back to, like, how did that make you feel? I'm like, I don't see the purpose, like, in going back there. She goes, Danny, you have to grieve well. Because in all of my years of doing this for decades upon decades of counseling people, people usually get stuck in their spiritual walks when they haven't grieved certain things well, when they haven't processed pain well. I really think God is honing in on some of these wounds that you've got from your dad. And you're looking to fill that wound, that gaping hole with other people and other things until God the Father can fulfill that you're going to keep on filling it with the wrong stuff. So we need to go into this place where you have to grieve well. Grieving is good. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4 says this. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom, and I think this is why. Perhaps it's not pain. Perhaps for, for some of us, it's actually pride that's become an obstacle. And what I want to invite you today is to surrender. But here's the thing about surrendering. True surrendering can't actually happen unless you acknowledge that there's a fight. Do you realize that? Like, people think, oh, when I surrender to God, it's like this passive thing, like, hmm. Like, I surrender, and you just kick back. No. Think war. Think fighting. Think battle. There's a battle going on between you and God, and you are fighting him on whatever it is. And when you say you surrender, you're like, I don't want to fight you anymore, God. I actively, not passively, I actively choose to no longer fight you on this. My question is, are you willing to stop fighting God and to actually surrender any pride? To actually be okay with being exposed, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. And then you go back to Jesus. You know what that's called? When you confess that you're dealing with pride and you go back to Jesus? It's repentance. That's all I'm asking. Would you repent? And it could be sweet, and it could be life-giving. I'd love to uh, actually call up the worship band. We're going to close with this. We're going to go into a time of worshiping Jesus, but what I'd love for us to do is go into a time of prayer ministry, if that's okay.
If I could call, if you're a part of Harbor City, if you lead a community group, um, if you could go in the back to receive people to pray, if you're part of Restored Family of Churches, if you're an elder, if you lead a uh, gospel community, you could use leaders to go back there too. We're going to go into a time of uh, worshiping Jesus. You can totally sit and you can pray. You can um, engage in music. Or you can sit and you can journal and engage with God. But what I want to do is for us to, to use this time to process and to grieve or to ask, for inner, to ask for prayer and that we wouldn't be this alone. Does that make sense? Yeah? So let me go ahead and uh, pray for us in this time. I do want to say this. I felt like God is, is before I pray, for some of us, maybe our wounds came from our father, but our mothers really came through. That we can praise God for giving us moms that have shown us the love of God as a father. When I was being born, um, there was huge complications with my mom. And they had to go into an emergency C-section. It wasn't just an urgent last-minute C-section. It was an emergency. And at the time, I was being born in Guam at a Navy station. And they told her, if we do this emergency section right now, we have a chance of either losing you or losing the baby. Because his heart rate is dropping super fast. And we have to go in now. You have to make a decision. And they handed the form to my dad and a pen. And my dad remembers carrying the pen and shaking. And they asked him, what do you want to do, sir? And he's like, what do I do? Do I save the, the son that I have never met or do I save the life? of the woman that I love. What do you do? And my mom grabs my dad by the wrist. And he goes, you do whatever it takes to save our child. You do whatever it takes for to make sure this baby is born today. So he signs that paper. They rush my mom. And she remembers laying on that metal table thinking, all right, God, I'm willing for you to take my life so this child could live. Is that not a picture of what Jesus has done for us? That he laid his life down and said, God, take my life so that my brothers and sisters might have eternal life and be part of this family, born into something better, a better story. And it's okay. I praise God that my mom's all right. And she's still whining, asking me, did you bring your jacket? Did you bring your jacket? Is it cold there? You having enough to eat? She still worries about me. I just think, as it was closing, I felt like maybe it's not a dad. Maybe it's mom. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in the church that we need to grieve. But there are pictures of God the Father showing his love in places. Maybe it's pride that's kept us from seeing it. Father God, we just want to go into this time where we ask you, Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? Would you bring healing in places where there have been deep wounds. And God, maybe it starts with today. Maybe a process has started today where we want to trust you, but we first have to tell you we don't. Maybe it's admitting, no, I do. Tr I have trust issues with people and I don't trust you necessarily. But what I love about you, Father, is that you can take that beating on the chest and you say, yeah, I can take that. Tell me, tell me. I want to work through it. 
God, whatever the obstacles are from keeping us from experiencing you as a father and the church filled with the brothers and sisters, would you expose that in, in our time today? Something that Kimmy said in her testimony, she was saying, man, my father kept giving me these promises and then none of it just happened. Maybe there are times where we felt we were promised something and it didn't pan out the way we thought. And those have caused, caused wounds. Maybe there have been expectations and dreams that feel dead. God, would you resurrect things that feel like they have died? But God, I don't want to move forward this weekend unless we've actually dealt with my, what might be causing obstacles in our relationship with you. Jesus, would you do a work that I can't? As we sing songs of your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord, would we be different people because of our time here in this place? It's in Jesus' name I pray.